Matthew chapter 16. It's good to see you tonight. I trust that uh, you got some rest this afternoon, but I'm always hesitant to ask how many got a nap because then you have other people that covet what, the, what they didn't get. But uh, I trust at least you had your coffee or something like that. And uh, if you didn't, maybe this will help. At least one trusted Christ this morning. Amen. And we praise the Lord for that. I, I thank the Lord that he's still saving souls. And that the gospel still works. When your pastor asked me to preach, immediately the Lord made it clear what was supposed to be for tonight. But I must preface it by saying this. This is not an easy message to preach. I remember when the Lord gave me this message we were in the middle of a week of revival meetings in Michigan. I was in my study. And there are sometimes when the Lord gives you something and it lives in the study, and sometimes it seems to die in the pulpit. But not that night. Because in my study and in the quietness of my time alone with my father, the Lord showed me something from Matthew 16 that not only broke my heart, but the Lord kicked me in the teeth. You know, you've been there. You read a certain passage of scripture that you've read so many times, and because the Bible lives and breathes, you see something you've never seen before. And then you realize your complete failure to be obedient. And the Lord gave me that night a message that I had never preached before. But the Lord gave me a message because he had spoken to my heart. And I have learned the hard way that I cannot preach unless I first allow God to preach it to me. Tonight, I do not share this message in any way as a rebuke to you and not to myself. When I first preached this message, I was so excited because I had, God had dealt with me and I had responded in my own heart. And God lit a fire under me, and that night I got behind the pulpit, and God blessed, and God met with us. But the problem is that where God is trying to do a work, the devil fights. And that night, the Word of God made a lot of people mad. It didn't about split the church. Instead, it seemed like there was a core in the church that decided to go off of man's opinion rather than God's truth. 
it pretty much shut down the meeting and the church refuses to have me back. That's fine. But the problem is that I went to my study after I'd preached that and I looked at the message God had given me and I closed that passage and I said, fine, I'll never preach that one again. And the Lord, although not in an audible voice, it was almost as if it was. And he said, you don't preach for them. You preach for me. And tonight, I believe the Lord would have us go here. But please understand, this is not me to you. I believe this is from God to us. So tonight, before we ever begin, I'd like to begin with prayer. And then we'll stand and read. My Father, I need you tonight. I thank you for what you've done in my heart afresh and anew. But Lord, I'm not asking tonight for this to be a sermon. May this be a message from heaven. May I not stand in the way of your working. May you guard my mouth that I may only preach truth. May you bind the devil and the lies that he would love to whisper in our ears tonight. The lies that we are not required to obey. Tonight I pray that you would light a fire under us. And although this is not new truth, may tonight we not let it become old truth. My Father, may I be obedient to you tonight. And I ask this the only way I know how. Through the name and through the blood of my Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me? Matthew chapter 16. We'll begin reading in verse number 13. When Jesus came into Caesarea, excuse me, into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? I think that's a very good question to start off the message. And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter, oh no, answered and said, thou art the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, I'll say also unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. 
and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Tonight I'd like to preach you on this subject. The keys to the kingdom. You may be seated. When I read Matthew 16, and I came down to the keys to the kingdom, I thought it was an interesting picture. I thought if the Lord has a set of keys mentioned in Matthew 16, I wonder if he has other sets of keys in the Word of God. So I began to search throughout the Word of God, and I found out there are three sets of keys. It intrigued me. You, you find in Revelation chapter 9 and in Revelation chapter 20 that the fifth angel is given the keys to the bottomless pit. I don't understand, nor do I claim to, all about the Revelation and uh, frankly, I don't believe anyone does. But it's clear that there is at least a set of keys in heaven that locks and unlocks the bottomless pit. There is another set of keys mentioned in Revelation chapter number 1, verse number 18. They are the keys of death and of hell. The only person worthy to hold those keys is the Son of God. I am so glad that I don't hold the keys to death and hell. That is not my responsibility, although there are many that say that it is. But the keys were given to Jesus himself. For Jesus is the one that died for the sinner. And he is worthy to hold the keys to death and to hell. But in Matthew 16, you find the last set of keys mentioned in all the word of God, at least that I can find. And it's the keys to the kingdom of heaven. The keys that unlock heaven. Or the keys that leave heaven locked. Please understand tonight, the key to access heaven is Jesus Christ. There is no other way to access heaven but through Jesus Christ. But my friends, someone has the responsibility of those keys. And we find that in Matthew 16. Jesus begins the discourse. He's traveling with his disciples and he asks them a question. He says, whom do ye say that I, the son of man, am? Friends, what the world says about Jesus will always be a reflection of what we think about Jesus. And if Jesus is only a good person to us, 
The definition that the world has will be behind that. When Jesus asks his disciples, whom do men say that I am? The disciples say, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. I think John the Baptist is one of the most unique characters in all of the Bible. I kept trying to convince my wife that if God were to have given us a son, we should name him John. The Baptist. <laughs> Stevenson. Gentlemen, sometimes there are things you just, well, oh well. She said he cannot have two middle names. And who has a middle name, the? Well, I thought it was cool. John the Baptist. I, anyway. And the Lord gave me two daughters. I look at John the Baptist in the Word of God, and I think, what an amazing character. Not just someone that would stand up against wrong and proclaim truth, but someone who would take his responsibility of pointing men to Jesus Christ very seriously. John was never about John. John didn't go around the city posting flyers about John. There were not lights about John. Instead, John would say, Behold the Lamb of God, whose shoe I'm not worthy to unloose. He says, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Well, maybe, maybe, just maybe, you're a lies. Or maybe because you've been seen weeping, maybe, maybe you're Jeremiah. Or another of the prophets. But my Jesus is not just another preacher. He's not just a prophet. He is not just a religious leader. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. He's the only way into eternal life. He is not just someone we talk about from the Word of God. He is the one who offers to walk and talk with you. He is not just the one who was there when the Red Sea was parted. He's the one that wants to offer you answered prayer and you real joy and you real peace. He is not someone that only resides in the Bible. He is someone that paid the price of sin, rose again the third day, and invites you and I to walk and talk with him. He's not just another storybook figure. He's Jesus. And I don't care how many people take his name flippantly. He is still precious. For it is only through his blood that I have eternal life. He is not just someone or ought not just be someone we talk about from the Bible when we come to church. When my girls come home, from Sunday school, from Wednesday night, even if they're sitting in church, 
in our home, they better be able to tell me something that the preacher talked about. And many times I'll hear this when the preacher talked about Jesus. Well, that's good. There are a lot of churches that don't even do that. But he's more than just a name. He's real. He's alive. So who is Jesus to you? Is he just another name? Or is he alive? Is he real to you? Is he precious to you? If he is, people will know. Have you seen these men? Most of the time it's these massive bodybuilders. And they wear these shirts that say something like this. I love my wife. If you have to tell people you love your wife, you probably don't. I mean, is that out of line? People ought to see that you love your wife. You ought not have to try to convince them. I ought not to have to try to convince people I love Jesus. They ought to be able to see I love Jesus. I ought not to be able to convince people that Jesus is just real in church. He ought to be real to me. And there's a difference. And Jesus says, whom the men say that I, the son of man, am. Then he looks at his disciples, the ones that have been with him all this time. And he says, whom do ye say that I am? And Peter. Oh, boy. You know, when I read the Bible, and any time I read the name Peter, unfortunately, I think of me. <laughs> Peter opens his mouth, and oftentimes it's insert foot up to thigh. I've done that. I was at a camp one time, and I was introducing a uh, musical group, and we had two different musical groups that week. Uh, we had um, like a ladies' ensemble, and then we had like a ladies' trio. The ensemble was singing, and I announced them as now the large ladies group will come and sing for us. You try to get out of that one. I tried to fix it and I said, I'm sorry, I meant the large in size. That didn't help anything. Thankfully, they were all pencil thin. But Peter often opens his mouth and we can say, well, Peter, you should have thought before you spoke. I think sometimes he did and still got it wrong. But not this time. Jesus says, whom do ye say that I, the son of man, am? And Peter answers in verse number 16 and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus, he answers Peter. This doesn't happen much in the scripture between Jesus and Peter. <laughs> Jesus answered Peter. And commends him, and he says in verse number 17, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. In other words, Peter, you were listening during that message. Peter, God spoke to you. And Peter, you remembered what Jesus has been seen in you. There's a difference, Peter. You got that one right. 
But then the discourse continues. And Jesus will say this to Peter in verse number 18. And I say unto thee, thou art Peter. When I first read that, I thought, right. Everybody knows he's talking to Peter. Why does Jesus have to say, your name's Peter? That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Uh Uh-oh. You say, why do you say, "Uh uh-oh? If you've read any commentary, or if you've ever been in a room full of preachers, you will find that almost every preacher has a different idea of when the church started. You will hear arguing after arguing, and I'm not saying it's all the time mean. But you'll have people that will say this, well, the church started with Peter because of Matthew 16. You'll have people say, well, the church started with Jesus because, and they give the reference. You'll have people say, well, the church started at Pentecost. Excuse me. I don't think it's worth arguing. The church started. It started. And Jesus says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. By the way, If that's how Jesus views his church, and if he also says that he died for the church, I'd be very, very, very careful, my friend, of stepping in the way of what God's trying to do in his church. If you have a problem with the pastor, don't spread dissension. If you have a problem with the way things are done, it'd be better for you to keep your mouth shut than hinder the work of God. You say, preacher, but they need to hear my... No, they don't need to hear your opinion. Don't hurt the work of Christ. You say, but they need to do it different. Let them be responsible before God. Don't you stand in the way of God's working. Friend... If the gates of hell shall not prevail against church, his church, how do you think the consequences will be for the child of God that stands in the way of God's working in his church? I'd be careful. Jesus died for the church. Excuse me. Jesus will fight for his church. Be careful. But there's more to this passage. He says, thou art Peter. Upon this rock I will build my church. I struggled with that. Because I thought, why is he calling Peter's name? And then why, I mean, why, why would Jesus say, and Peter, I'm going to build my church upon you? Have you heard how Peter talks? Why would you want to found a church on Peter? And then I realize this. The Lord's trying to make an emphasis here. Bear with me. You are Peter. You remember what Peter's name means? Little pebble. Little stone. A part of the church, but you're not the foundation. You are not the cornerstone. And any church that wants to go on for Jesus must remember that if Jesus is not preeminent, that church will crumble. 
Any church that takes Jesus out of church will won't be too long before they write Ichabod above the door. Jesus must be king. Jesus must be not just the center, but the lifeblood of his church. So friends, here's what he's saying. You are a little stone, but I am the rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Jesus must build the church if you want it to last. Jesus must build the church if you want it to glorify God. Jesus must build the church if you don't want the gates of hell to prevail against your church. He doesn't say, okay, Peter, I'm going to build my church. No, you're a little stone, but I'm the rock. And so now Jesus will say this, understanding how he's been dealing with the entire passage. You're a little stone. I'm the rock. I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then in verse number 19, he says, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Peter, you're a little stone. I'm the rock. I will build my church and I will give to my church the keys of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the keys that unlock heaven's gates The key who is Jesus, I give that responsibility to my church. It's the church's responsibility to win the lost to Christ. It's the church's responsibility to see that everyone in the community knows that Jesus is king. It's a church's responsibility that people don't go through life wondering, well, who is Jesus? Isn't that how he began the passage? Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, who do you say the Son of Man is? Because that will determine what they say. Churches all over the world, maybe we should be more specific, people, Maybe more specific, church members. Maybe more specific, we. When we do not take this responsibility seriously, people will die and spend forever in hell. And that's not the pastor's fault. I meet churches all the time. Oh, you talking about winning souls for Christ? That's why we hired a pastor. You need to go back to the Bible. Because nowhere in the Word of God is it a requirement of pastors to win souls. Their job is to feed the flock. To lead the flock. They're not supposed to win. That's not their job. If you hire a pastor to do your job of winning souls, you've hired a hireling. You say, well, that's why we have deacons. 
<laughs> no. You know what the deacon's job is in the Bible? And I don't know who the deacons are, and it doesn't matter. But you know who the deacons, what the deacon's job is in the Bible? Serve. Servants. So the pastor can do his job. By the way, I make a lot of churches mad, but this is Bible. Nowhere in the Word of God do you find the position of head deacon. I don't know who the deacons are. It doesn't matter. I'm not trying to pick a fight. Nowhere in the Word of God is the deacon an authority figure. He is a servant. And any deacon that cannot hold up the pastor's arms and support him by serving, it would be better for him to turn in his resignation. I'm not being mean, friend. This isn't about us. This is about the church of Jesus Christ. This isn't about our edification, our glory, our standing. This is about Jesus. And souls are dying and going to hell. And you know what we're doing in most churches? In most churches, we're having fights. Who is more preeminent? Who has more authority? Who do we listen to? It's real easy. Jesus. And like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. God put the pastor in the position he's put him in so we would have an under-shepherd to know how to follow the good shepherd. Friend, I don't know of anything going on here and I'm not laying blame, but I am saying every church has a target on its back. And the biggest issues with churches today is not what's on the outside of the doors, but what's on the inside. There's more of the world coming into the church than the church going into the world. And we have problems because we've made it about man rather than about Jesus. And Jesus says, I will build my church on me and the gates of hell shall not prevail against me. And I give the responsibility of the kingdom of heaven to my church. It's not the pastor's job to win souls. It's not, it's not the deacon's job to win souls. And contrary to some popular belief, it's not the evangelist's job to win souls. You say, well, that's why we have an evangelist, right? Well, the evangelist is a gifting in the Bible. And I'm often asked, who is more powerful, the evangelist or the pastor? That is a dangerous question. But when I search the Bible, I don't find that the evangelist has authority. He is a gift. And the evangelist's job, if, if we use the picture of the shepherd and the sheep, the evangelist is like the sheepdog. That, that is in no way demeaning to the evangelist. The sheepdog's pretty important. You talk to shepherds. And he's nipping at the heels of the sheep saying, follow the shepherd as he follows the shepherd. You say, well, whose job is it to win souls? The Christians. Which I hope <laughs> includes 
the evangelists, the deacons, and the pastor. There have been some churches where I have wondered that that was free. But if it's the Christian's job, that means no matter my age, no matter my standing, no matter my uh, uh, education, it's my job as a Christian to win souls for Jesus. People are dying and going to hell and Jesus says, here are the keys. This is the responsibility. I give it to you, the church. But people are dying and going to hell. What do we do? We give them Jesus. But I've told them and I've told them and I've told They don't come to church. Friend, don't be wearing and well-doing. And remember, it's not you that can set them free. It's him. By the way, the church is not the answer. Hear me out. Jesus is the answer. Here's where it gets tough. Of those that would love to use, excuse me, intellectualism to say it's not the responsibility of anyone. I was in a camp preaching and a counselor came to me and they said, Brother Glenn, there's a teenage girl here who would like to be saved. I said, well, amen. Go win her to Jesus. She said, um, I'm having trouble doing that. I thought, what in the world? She said, I think you should come talk to her. I went into the auditorium, which by now had filtered out. There's a teenage girl sitting toward the back. And she's holding herself like this. And she's reeling in her seat. And I said, young lady... Counselor tells me you'd like to trust Jesus. She said, oh, I want to trust Jesus. I said, all you have to do is trust him. She said, I can't. I thought, I've never heard that before. I said, do you believe that Jesus died on? Yes, I believe that. Do you believe you're a sinner? Yes. Do you believe only Jesus can save you? That was the clincher. She looked at me and without any hesitation, she said this, Brother Glenn, I'm on my way to hell. I know it. And I can't do anything about it. I said, I'm sorry. I don't understand. She said, my parents told me I'm on my way to hell. My parents told me I'm not one of the elect. And there's nothing I can do about it. Excuse me. There are churches that act that same way. It's not our job. It's not our responsibility to win him to Christ. If God wills it, it'll be done. Shame. That's not Bible. The Bible says Jesus died for the ungodly. The Bible says whosoever will may come. The Bible says he's not willing that any should perish. Excuse me. Calvinism. 
is sending people to hell. You say, that's strong. Friends, if it's free and we tell people it's not free, there's a problem. I mentioned this in another message years ago in Illinois. There was a man sitting halfway back on the left-hand side. And in the middle of the message, I hear this. I disagree. I thought, well, I've heard a lot of amens and that's right and come ons, but I've never heard I disagree. I thought, that's interesting. Really, it shut down the service and really it hindered the meeting. I'm standing at the door and he comes up to me. I didn't know who it was. I figured out when he came up to me. And he said, Brother Glenn, if I brought you a book, and I don't remember what the book's title was, something about Potter, and I, I don't remember. And he said, would you read it? It's one of those moments I said something I probably shouldn't have said. And I said, if I gave you a Bible, would you read it? Because my Jesus invites every Amen. sinner. Friends, the only way they're going to hear is if I tell them. In this passage, you see the church. In this passage, you see the charge to the church. But in this passage, you see the command. This is not an option. This is a command. In any Christian who is not taking their responsibility of the keys to the kingdom of heaven seriously is sending people to hell. You say, does people really send people to hell? If I don't take my responsibility seriously, and I don't tell the soul that came across my path whose responsibility is it? Where will their blood be? You say, well, I pass out tracks. Friends, that's wonderful. But please understand, tracks are just a tool. Tracks aren't the answer. Jesus is. I invite them to church. That's great. Church isn't the answer. Jesus is. Don't misunderstand me. I believe we should use tracks. I believe we should invite people to church. But sometimes we use those as crutches for not giving the gospel. I gave them a track. Hopefully they'll read it. I understand there are times where that's all we can do. I get that. But what about the opportunities that we've asked the Lord for and we don't take? What about asking God to put someone along our path even this year? Give me one soul. What's wrong with that? If Jesus died for all the souls, can't I claim that? 
I've been in churches before where I hear this prayed, and please understand, I understand what's being said. Oh, Lord, would you save a soul tonight? Excuse me. Of course he would. Make sense? Of course he would. How about claiming a soul for Christ? Lord, are you willing to save one tonight? Of course he is. Lord, are you willing to give me a soul this week? Of course he is, because it's my responsibility. People are dying and going to hell. And if I am not giving the sweet gospel of Jesus, I'm living in disobedience. This isn't a, well, I didn't sign up to go on the, the, the soul winning. No, this isn't that. This isn't, well, I didn't get tracks this week. This isn't that. This isn't, well, I, 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 I can't speak very well. This isn't that. This is obedience to Jesus Christ. Can I ask this? What if someone had not told you You say, I grew up in a Christian home. Great. But what if you had never heard? Wouldn't you be on your way to hell? And what about them who have never heard? I think of the people that I passed this week at Walmart, the fuel station, etc. And I think back in my mind of the souls that I passed were on their way to hell. Who did I tell? This is obedience, friend. This is our responsibility. With this and I'm done. When I was a kid going to church, I had an old Indian who was my children's church teacher. Mr. Manspile tells every week about Jesus. He'd tell us how Jesus loved us. Jesus died for us. And then he'd show us pictures of heaven, you know. The pictures that were on either flannel graph or on poster board. <laughs> he would tell us that in heaven, oh, it was sweet. There was no sickness, no pain. The kids would often ask him questions. Mr. Manspile, are there dogs in heaven? My kitty cat got ran over. Are they in heaven? Mr. Manspile, is there chocolate in heaven? Mr. Manspile would often say, if we need anything in heaven to make us happy, 
it'll be there. I thought, boy, that's a very deep, deep statement to little kids. So we came away thinking there's a river of chocolate in heaven. <laughs> but since I was a kid, I've always heard this. There are no tears in heaven. Until I read the Bible. There are tears in heaven. It is not until the second to last chapter that tears are wiped away. Do you know what has created our tears? We have watched the great white throne. We have watched the guilty sinner who is unforgiven stand before the judge. We have listened as the judge has said, depart from me. You workers of iniquity, I never knew you. We will see that. And I believe, based on the word of God, because of memories in heaven, we will remember some of the people that stand before an almighty God. Maybe we'll remember the soul that we saw at Walmart and we had an opportunity that we didn't take because we were too busy to obey. And only after the great white throne will those tears be wiped away. People are dying. It's getting late. It's getting serious. Whom do men say that the Son of Man is? Whom do ye say that the Son of Man is? I've preached in churches where I've knocked on doors in the community. Not even a part of the church. Hey, have you heard about such and such a Baptist church? Oh, I've never been there, but I heard God's real down there. Another neighborhood. Have you ever heard of, oh, I've never been there, but I've heard of it. God answers prayer down there. Who do they say that he is? Before we get to that, whom do you say that he is? The keys to the kingdom are given to the church. What are you doing with your keys? My father, tonight I'm not asking for a flash of emotion. I'm not asking for tears on the altar, although that may be what's needed. Tonight I'm asking for some Bible anguish to be broken over the souls of men 
and to choose obedience over selfishness. For we know the key to heaven is Jesus. We need forgiveness tonight. We need boldness tonight. And we need to choose obedience tonight. I don't know how else to pray. But would you help us to catch a glimpse of you that the world may see you.